Good afternoon, Celtics fans, and welcome to another episode of CLNS Radio Celtics Beat. I'm your host, Rich Conti, and it's my first show back after a nice vacation. Last time I hosted Celtics Beat was just after the draft, and really not a lot's happened since then for the Celtics. We have a couple of stellar guests today. First, we'll talk with the one and only Peter Vesey, formerly of the New York Post, and one of the pioneers of the NBA insider role that's so central to the NBA media today. Later, we'll talk with a longtime friend of Celtic Speed and CLNS Radio, Mass Live's own Jay King. But first, I'd like to welcome my co-host, Roto-Wire's Dr. Andre Snellings. Last time we spoke, Andre, we were talking about the draft and my new favorite player, and I think I will finally get his name right, rookie first-round pick of the Raptors, Bruno Caboclo. <laughs> How are you today, Andre? I am much better after hearing you pronounce that name. There you go. I felt so bad for, you know, the last month and a half after messing that up on uh, draft night, but it was such a shocker. Yeah, I mean, I think pretty much everybody in America um, can forgive you for, for having a little bit of difficulty with that name. So I don't think anybody else can say it. That's right. And it's been five or six weeks since the draft, and the summer leagues in Orlando and Las Vegas has wrapped up. You got the chance to attend the sessions in Vegas. What were your impressions? Yeah, I did get to see some of the games in Vegas um, live action. And so um, I really concentrated a lot on the the top few picks from uh, the last couple of drafts. So um, I made sure I went and watched Cleveland, seeing as how they had the number one pick from both of the last two drafts. I really wanted to see what Andrew Wiggins and Anthony Bennett looked like. Um, the first game I watched them, I was actually surprised because – Bennett was really the most impressive player on the court to me. He looked significantly more impressive than Wiggins did, and and I didn't expect that. Um, Bennett has kind of a, a face up, uh, you know, a face up four kind of game, and he was really uh, comfortable handling the rock. He was making some good passes. His he had, I guess, two potential highlights of the day. One of them, he crossed his man up and to the point where his, his ankles kind of buckled, and then he kicked it out for Wiggins to hit a jumper. And then another, um, he got a, a, a two-hand dunk and one to kind of finish the game off. So, um, so I was really impressed with Wiggins that first game. I mean, I'm sorry, with Bennett that first game. Wiggins, I'm not sure what to make of him. Um, you, being uh, as, as familiar with um, Celtics lore as, as you are and as our audience is, um, the name Gerald Green kind of comes to mind. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether Wiggins is more Tracy McGrady or Gerald Green at this point. But he, he, the, the thing that I think bothered me about his game is he doesn't have enough of a handle to really be effective at the type of role I, I would think he would want to want to play. Um, he seemed he had, he had about a two dribble max, and he either had to get where he was going in those two dribbles, or else he needed to pass. And and for a wing, I don't know if that's ideal. Um, but then again, he'll be playing next to LeBron James, assuming he's not traded. So um, you know. Uh, maybe being a spot-up shooter is, is, is more what he needs to learn anyway. Well, and the conventional wisdom was, you know, at least initially in the NBA, he was really going to have the biggest impact defensively. Uh, did you get a chance really to, you know, get any sense of you know, how ready he is to play at the NBA level uh, as a wing defensively? Yeah, I think he'll be he'll be fine in that role. Um, he's really, I mean, obviously he's really tall. Um, I took a, a good uh, picture with him standing next to Bennett, and they were either the exact same height or he was a little bit taller. And you know, Bennett plays plays the four, so um, so he has really good height. He's got really 
high springs and quick leaping ability, which is really going to serve him well, I think, as, a, as both a, a potential shot blocker and a rebounder. He had one play I can remember where his man was driving on him and then, you know, tried to like up fake and then go up for a fadeaway jumper. And um, he, he stayed right with him, went up and blocked it, you know, clean right at the top, which is hard to do on the ball. So um, I think defensively, uh, he's a lot more ready than he is offensively. Yeah, of course, we all saw that YouTube video leading up to the draft of uh, his vertical leap. Um, do you think kind of anything that maybe that he showed at, at the uh, Las Vegas Summer League might have an impact, impact on kind of his attractiveness as a trade ship for someone like Kevin Love? Um, I would think... I would say no, because I think at this point he's seen as pure potential. You know, um, that that scouting report that I just gave, I'm sure all of the scouts in the NBA saw that they they know what he is and what he isn't. And but he one thing that he is is the number one overall pick. He's absurdly athletic, and um, he you know he he's got the potential to build excitement that um you know Minnesota maybe hasn't had in a while so um even with Kevin Love who's an outstanding player but you know there's just something about that guy that can just take off from anywhere and two-hand dunk it at any time that that really you know gets the fans excited so um so I think that that aspect of it he did have some sweet dunks one off of this spin move where I kind of felt like he was out of control but it didn't matter because he (laughs) finished the move and dunked it so um I think things like that would up his uh, trade value. Um, but um, at, at this point, you know, I don't I don't really see that Minnesota is going to get anything better. So if they have a chance to get him, I would think they'll go after him. Anybody else you are focusing on really kind of stand out to you? Yeah. Um, so um, obviously, if I'm looking for Wiggins, I had to be looking for Jabari Parker. So um, I went and watched uh, uh, Parker and uh, Dante Exum uh, faced off with each other. And um I really thought that was going to be the matchup that I was watching, you know, was Jabari Parker and Dante Exum. And they both played okay. Um, Parker, I guess what impressed me is he's a really good ball handler for his size. He was clearly much more functional with his ball handling than Wiggins was. And, um, you know, he was comfortable with the face-up game from the perimeter. And, I mean, he looked solid. But, um, and, and, you know, similar with Exum. Exum played a lot of point guard. He's 6'6", and um, and uh, he was out there uh with Trey Burke, who's actually the point guard for for Utah, and um, and Exum was the one running the point, and he looked really smooth with it. So, you know, that was kind of impressive. But the two players from that game that just stole the show were, and I'm not even going to go your route. I'm not even going to try his name. <laughs> <laughs> the Greek freak. <laughs> um, uh, Wise choice. Yes. <laughs> the Greek freak from Milwaukee. And the surprise of the day was this guy named Rudy Gobert from yeah. Utah. Um, yeah, he's a big man. And what I really knew about him before that game was that he had set some type of record for the longest wingspan on record and something like that. He's, he's seven feet tall with some absurd wingspan. But he played in Europe and I wasn't familiar with him. And he didn't get picked till the, towards the end of the first round. So I really wasn't expecting him to, to look like he looked. He was extremely smooth. He was on offense and defense. He looked like he knew exactly where he was going. Every time Parker uh, went to the rim, it was getting sent away. He had maybe four or five blocks in the first quarter. Um, And and he was aggressive. That's what I like because the Greek freak also, he really looked like he was too good to be in the summer league. You could tell (laughs) he had a, a year of NBA experience. 
And at one point, it seemed that he got frustrated that Gobert was blocking all the shots. So you saw, you know, um, <laughs> can I just call him Greek? <laughs> Greek drive to I think the rim. Jay, I think Jalen Rose suggested calling him Poe because his, uh, his last name ends with the P.O. So. All right, Jalen, I'll go with that. Michigan boy. Um, yes. Poe went to the rim. He shook his man on the perimeter, went to the rim, rose up with two hands and dunked right on Gobert. Which was, you know, it was impressive. But what impressed me even more was when they went to the other end, Gobert seeked out Poe, posted him up, put one hand up, got the ball, drop step, two hand dunk right back on him. Wow. I mean, he he looked like he had the the mentality to play in the NBA right now. So I don't know how many minutes he's going to get because Utah has some depth in the in the front court. But um, he really impressed me. He, he may have impressed me more than anybody else I saw in Vegas. Wow, that's uh, high praise. Well, that sounds like that was uh, definitely a fun matchup to watch. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I mean, I really get a kick out of, of watching the Summer League games because you really get a feel that you're you're looking at the future right in front of you. Well, while it's been a relatively quiet in Boston since the draft, there's certainly been a lot of activity around the league. Let's bring in our first guest, the one and only Peter Vesey, to give us some insight into the comings and goings. <laughs> Our interview with Peter is brought to you by the Boston Sports Connection. For all of your Boston sports talk, tune in every Tuesday evening on CLNS Radio with CLNS content manager Sean Backey. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thank you. I'm, I might be looking for some insight from you guys. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, the most obvious go. question to start with is, what's your take on the LeBron decision to return to the Cavaliers? Well, you know, now that I'm retired, um, I, I look at things a little differently. Uh, not not that I would have looked at his situation differently, but as a fan, and that's that's really what I am now. Is uh, you know I'm excited about it. I, I thought it was uh, pretty noble of him, and uh, it's what he followed his heart. And you know when we heard, when everybody heard uh, during the season that uh, there was, you know, some interest that he might want to go back, and you know I, I I was like shaking my head. I said I. I tweeted, I'm sure I tweeted, there's no way that's going to happen. There's no way he'd leave a situation where he'd won titles, you know, three finals going for a fourth. And uh, would he leave Pat Riley, who put him in a situation to win um, and and can revamp too, knows how to do that. So I, I just didn't believe it. But, but you know, as, as time went on, uh, you know, we, we got uh, those to reality and uh, – so I'm, I'm, I think he did the right thing. The only the only thing I will say is is that uh, I really really would believe him that he you know he's going to go home, wanted to go home, uh, but would he have done it had they won the championship? Uh, I tend to, I tend to doubt he would have. You know how how could you have ever left? You know winning three championships and going for a fourth. So it kind of kind of broke well for him uh, in that um, the team is was uh, disintegrating and uh, a lot of changes there as well uh, as Cleveland but no major ones uh, you know getting getting dang is you know it's fine but to me uh, just just shifting to Miami for a second here is that uh, they they've become the old Toronto Raptors you know, where you've got Chris Bosh as your franchise player, I, that that's not going to get it. Is Cleveland now the favorite in the East, and can they really defend anybody with that, that team? Well, we're going to have to defend them. So, uh, you know, we can always look at it 
backwards, I guess. But let's face it, they, they are going to get Kevin Love. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's any doubt about that. In fact, I'm saying to you, there is no doubt about it. He's, he'll be playing with them next year. And uh, so you put him with LeBron and, you know, Kyrie Irving and, uh, you know, the other, other pieces that, that, you know, Varajal and, you know, they've got a real good team. So yeah, defensively uh, they're going to be uh, giving up a lot of points, but let, let's see teams stop them. I heard that. Well, um, speaking of uh, players and teams that are hard to stop, um, Kevin Durant's been um, talking a bit uh, about his future, and he's um, you know there are already talks that he may be returning to Washington, and he still has two uh, years left on his contract. Um, how do you feel about that? Are you okay with players today openly talking about their free agency possibilities, um, especially, you know, when they're on teams that are currently trying to contend? Well, I don't, I don't think they can get away with not talking about it because the media is, is so uh, uh, consumed by it. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing how, uh, you know, the media today goes from, from one guy to another, you know, one class to another, and, uh, and, and they're relentless about it. So unless you're really a hardcore guy and uh, you know mentally, mentally strong enough to withstand the constant the barrage of questions and just say from the beginning no comment, once you open your mouth the first time, you know you're <laughs> you're you're out there. Then you're you know they're going to come after you all the time. As far as for Durant returning to Washington, uh, I I don't believe that for a second and I think that's more speculation from from the media than anything he has said I I I yeah so he'll be he'll be free in two years and then Westbrook the year after you know again why why do people think that he is going to leave after he signed a you know a long-term deal with the with the uh the Thunder and then God, he's he's uh, he's like a saint there. I mean, he could canonize the guy. You know, why would he leave? Uh, who knows why anyone leaves? Ego, money, money's more there. But uh, ego, ego is important. And uh, being in a you know a, a large city, I guess you know more hype. So I say, if Durant goes anywhere, uh, I look for him to go to the Lakers because they're going to have. You know, tremendous amount of money to give them. Uh, Kobe will be on the way out at that point. They won't have anybody. So, you know, a guy like him might want to uh, start with the Lakers, or maybe he'll want to go, you know, to a team where he can win a championship. It's again, you know, there's so many factors involved. You know, Love, who I have some insight into, you know, said all along off the record, you know, uh, in private to people that uh, he wanted to return to L.A. And, uh, you know, Jimmy Buss scared him, but, you know, he grew up in Portland and went to L.A., played for UCLA, and, you know, he's, he's kind, of, kind of that type of guy right now. He loves that, loves that, uh, that circus atmosphere that the Lakers uh, would give him. But so now, now it comes to the point where he's got a chance to play with LeBron, and by the way, they have a relationship dating back many, many years. Um, yeah, so he switches up. The hell with LA, you know. I'm, I want to win a championship. I'm going. I'm going. And, and it's funny, uh, you know. Just as an aside, uh, I I was asked to coach the Elite 24 back when Kyrie Irving was going into his senior year, 
and um, it was it was at Rucker, and it rained, and we had to go indoors. But uh, my assistant coach at that time was Kevin Love, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and, and and Brandon Jennings was the other assistant. So it's it's kind of funny. I mean, I know I know Kyrie and and Kevin got along even before I I knew about it, but. Uh, um, so here they are. They're going to end up playing together, and um, it, it should be exciting. I, I love—I mean, I love the way Gilbert, you know, changed everything once he realized that he had a shot to get LeBron back. He gave Kyrie Irving the max money, you know, close to ninety million dollars, something he was not going to do before. I mean, I, I have a relationship with Kyrie through his through his uh, um, godfather, who was Rod Strickland. And, um, you know, so I, I know a little bit about what was going on there, and I went out on a limb and, and uh, tweeted that he was not going to return, and that's what I was told all along. But now there's a chance to play with LeBron, and Gilbert turns around and gives him the max, and he set it all up, you know. It's like put everything. We have the first pick. We're lucky, lucky to get the first pick, which they can use to get uh, love. And um, so Gilbert, Gilbert, uh, you know, did what he had to do financially. And, um, I mean, they're, they're, as you said before, you know, favorites to win. Yeah, they, they, they will be favorites to win once, once everything gets, uh, once the season starts, yeah. Now, each week we ask our listeners to contribute their questions on the Celtics Beat page on Facebook. This week's Celtics Beat fan question of the week comes from Seth, and he wants to know, what's your take on the Lakers' recent hiring of Byron Scott as their head coach? I, you know, I think it's weak. Um, you know, obviously he's got history with the team and history with Kobe and all that stuff, but... Uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not a fan of his as a coach. I, I, I've seen him with the Nets. Yes, they got to the finals twice, and uh, but I'll I'll say it's uh, you know it, it probably was despite Byron. He's, he's just not a hard worker. You know, he's a guy to bring and make sure he brings his golf clubs on the road when the, when the team traveled. Um, you know, and then Kid ends up submarining him in in, um, in in New Jersey, and he he didn't think he was a hard worker either. Talk about kid, you know what what we think about him, but uh, you know, and then Cleveland, you know, what what did he show there? I mean, it's all about having the talent. Is he going to be successful? I mean, no, I mean the Lakers, are, you know, I can't believe that they weren't able to do something, you know, more than uh, you know just bringing in bringing in the scrubs for one more year on one year deals. Everybody's on a one year deal, and uh, so they'll have an awful lot of money next year, and then they'll have an awful lot of money the year after, but. So, so the fans might like Byron, and you know they'll uh, they're attached to him, and, and rightfully so. Um, and, and I will tell you, you know that Pat Riley gets the all the credit for coming up with the uh, the brand uh, three peat, but it was actually Byron Scott that came up with that, and then Riley glommed it. <laughs> <laughs> right place at the right time. <laughs> right. No, he just, you know, he said it. He, he said it. He was on the team, and then Riley used it and yeah. then trademarked it. <laughs> That's funny. Smart man. Well, speaking of the Lakers, you know, of course, they went in the offseason with two or three players under contract and have been, as you referenced, scrambling to put together a roster. And most recently, they signed Carlos Boozer after he was amnestied by the Bulls. Do they have any chances of being a playoff team this year? And if not, do, do things start to get ugly there? Well, I mean, they're already ugly. 
uh, let's let's face it. We don't. Nobody knows what he's going to do. You know, will he will he be uh, a facsimile of the old Kobe, or is he an old Kobe and is he going to break that again? So that's that's a major issue. But even if he's Kobe is Kobe or close to it, you know, Boozer, you know, okay, undersized power forward. You know, not you talk about no defense. It's a team set up strictly to uh, strictly to survive a season and uh, and go on to the next season. No, they're not a playoff team. Uh, the West is too strong for the Lakers to be a playoff team. Okay. Well, uh, speaking of the team that Boozer just left, um, have the Bulls had the best offseason of any team in the NBA besides Cleveland? Um, you know, off the top, uh, I don't know. You know, are they the you know they got Gasol? Um, who else did they get? Uh, Derek Rose. No, I mean, of course we know. I'm saying, who else did they get? You know, did they did they add anybody to the mix besides Gasol? Yeah, I mean, again, Derek Derek Rose, if he's healthy, um, the team the team played really well without him. I mean, it's the coach that got, you know, probably the second or third best coach in the league in Thibodeau. And uh, getting Gasol is, is certainly a coup. To you know, to me, uh, yeah, they couldn't have gotten anybody better. Uh, you know, they he'll he'll work great with Noah, and uh, you know they needed an, a big man who who could supply some offense and dish it off as well. And I mean, Gasol Gasol is proven and. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they did well. But I, I can't, you know, off the top of my head tell you that that's the second-best team, that uh, second-best move of the offseason. We'll you'll have to throw some other teams out there at me. But, it, you know, they're probably right there. And you mentioned Thibodeau being one of the top two or three coaches. I'm assuming Popovich is one of the other two. Who's uh, uh, Who do you have kind of up there with, with, with those two? Well, I mean, I guess, you know, you gotta, you got to give Doc Rivers you know, props for being up there. You know, he won a championship. His teams compete. And, uh, he's got the respect of the players. Uh, and he knows the game. There's no question about that. So, you know, Rivers Rivers is certainly there. Rick Carlisle is certainly up there. Um, let me think. I mean, there's so many changes of coaches. It's like it's I've gotten to the point, I swear, where I, I don't know names of general managers. I don't know who I don't know who these coaches are. You know, it's like you know, so they get David Black from, uh, from Israel, Israel, you know, yep. coaching the Israeli team. Now, what is going on with my NBA? I don't know. It's like you know, I'll give you I'll give you something I, I gave on another program, but nobody really paid much attention to it. What's that? But. When when LeBron, see LeBron's, you know, if you look at the, you know, the timing of, you know, when his interest became uh, um, for real, you know, when people started to find out about it, um, it's it's really it really was much earlier than than people thought, and he really had some, you know, strong conversations with the Cavaliers before the draft, before they hired Dave Blatt. And uh, the re- the reason I know this is is that uh, somebody somebody told me for sure that uh, he wanted LeBron wanted a certain coach, and Cleveland hired David Blatt, 
And it was at that time that, uh, you know, I, I, I tweeted, I said, well, you know, I know he had interest before, but now that he doesn't, he did not, I didn't, I, no, the way I phrased it was, now that David Blatt comes in, I'm just wondering if that changes his, his mind about things. Okay, it didn't. And to me, that showed, you know, an unbelievable point that I was going to make before about the owner. You know, when, when he was there the first time in Cleveland, he, he got his way on everything. This time, Cleveland had a chance to get him. Gilbert had a chance to get him, and he said no to him as far as his coach goes and hired his own guy or let management hire its own guy. I mean, that, 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 that was damn, you know, uh, damn nervy. You know, that took a lot of Hudspeth. And they still got their man. So things have changed a little bit in Cleveland. And, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really know much about David Blatt. Um, you know, obviously won the world, you know, won the world games this, uh, the, the European championship this past year, you know. But you know, I've been hearing good things about him over the years. One guy over there, this guy, the scout, Tim Shea, was telling me, you know, the Knicks should look at Blatt and look at – I said, there's no way Phil Jackson's ever going to think of, you know, hiring David Black. Next thing you know, he's hired, you know, Cleveland hired. I, I was shocked. <laughs> I was like, that That was an unbelievable move. But I do like it. I'd rather see him come in, this guy come in, an unknown, than recycle, you know, the same coaches. Uh, you know, Gentry's name was mentioned because his relationship with David Griffin, the uh, – the general manager, they were together in uh, in Phoenix. I'm so glad he didn't hire Gentry. Enough of Gentry, <laughs> you know? En- enough of those guys. They- they've had their chances. Yes, yes, they, you know, he might have gotten screwed over at the end in-, in Phoenix. Good guy, whatever, knows the game. Let- let's move on, you know? Let's get some new guys in here. Whose names I know. <laughs> 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 well, listeners, you can follow Peter on Twitter at PeterVessi1. Thanks so much for joining us, Peter. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Take care. Well, it was interesting to hear Peter's take on LeBron, Andre. What was your perspective? Was this really about a homecoming, or was it simply the best place for him to be basketball and business-wise? See, I don't know if you remember. The last time we did a show together, before Decision Part 2, I was pretty emphatic that LeBron was going back to Cleveland. I even made the prediction that Miami was not going to be good this year because LeBron was going back to Cleveland. I think it was a combination of things. I think it's the story. I think, you know, I don't get the impression that LeBron enjoyed becoming a villain. I don't think he expected that. Um, He got what he needed out of Miami. He got the two titles. And what better way to write the story that will get you into the legacy legend book than being the man that comes back to Cleveland and leads them to the promised land? I, I really had little doubt that he was going back to Cleveland. Yeah, I, you know, I actually was, you know, not necessarily surprised or shocked by it, but was really kind of fascinated how quickly, uh, you know, it turned from this this big open question to, you know, all of a sudden, hey, you know, not only is he going to Cleveland, this has actually been in the works for a while, and, 
you know, when you couple that with the, the talk about Kevin Love, and particularly hearing from somebody like Peter, you know, talk about it being, you know, really a done deal, kind of, you know, if, if there's a way to see a wink over the phone, you know, I, I could have imagined uh, Peter winking uh, as he was saying that, and, you know, that kind of rubs me as in, yeah, this is yet another kind of orchestrated move to put LeBron in the best position to succeed, which, you know, heck, you know, all the power to his management, that's that's their job. Um, you know, all the power to Cleveland, you know, for, for, for being the beneficiaries of that. And as Peter pointed out, for, you know, the Dan Gilbert and the, and the Cavs organization to realize the opportunity, not let any of that past baggage kind of stand in their way and really kind of do what they needed to do to, to make it happen. But, you know, if, if we're talking about, you know, what does this move mean for LeBron's legacy, it's really tough for me to completely see separate out, you know, the fact that all of these things just seem to be falling in place, again, to put LeBron in the most advantageous position possible for him. I don't begrudge him trying to do that for his career, but I also don't think he gets a free pass when we evaluate uh, him next to some of the other greats in the game. And, you know, he belongs in that discussion, absolutely. But I think, you know, by virtue of him belonging in that discussion, some of these things are fair game to question. It doesn't make him a bad person. It doesn't make him, you know, any less of a, a basketball talent or a basketball player, but to me it does affect his legacy if this is yet another one of these, you know, kind of orchestrated moves really kind of designed to put him in the best possible light. Yeah, that's an interesting take on it. Um, and I think one of the lessons that I've learned from following um, Kevin Garnett's career so closely over the last, you know, decade, 15 years, is that in the long run, I don't think that the concerns that you're raising will really move the needle as far as LeBron's perceived legacy. You know, um, we'll, we'll be doing some talking later in the show about um, this project that I'm working on where we're going back through and, and trying to rank some of the best players in history. And, and when you look at it at that level of detail, that's where the question that you're raising is coming in. Um, and so maybe among basketball nerds like us, uh, uh, <laughs> that question will come up. But when it comes to the average NBA fan or even the fairly dedicated NBA fan, I think the fact that he win that, that he's won and if he, you know, continues to win in Cleveland, that that would overshadow any of those types of questions that you were talking about. Because honestly, I've seen it happen in Miami. When he went to Miami with my with uh, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch, in my head, I was this is that's comp. Like there's no way that they're not winning titles with that team. And so, but then in the you know they had trouble that first year. So by the time that they won those next two championships and coming into this year, I was hearing people talk about, well, you know, LeBron just doesn't have much help. You know, Wade's <laughs> not as healthy as he used to be. And, you know, like, well, what is that LeBron sure can't carry a team. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Like, mm-hmm. like I don't care if Dwayne Wade's on one leg. You know, like this, this is a significant amount of help that he's, that he's working with. But, I, I mean, you know, I guess my point with that is I, I just don't think that it's going to really matter much in his ultimate legacy because people won't really remember it. I, I agree that it won't matter as much, and that's actually the, the most disappointing part for me as a basketball fan is that, you know, our standards uh, for, you know, greatness, particularly as a competitor, have just been so lowered by, frankly, I, I think just the, the media's saturation, you know, with this guy and just kind of, you know, willingness to be complicit in what seems to be really just, you know, a, a 
something that the league is behind, the, the media's got behind it, you know, really just to, hey, you know, lo- let's create a hero here. And obviously, um, you know, that's difficult for me to say because, honestly, I don't think he needs all of that support. The guy is a, a tremendous basketball player. And what I, as a basketball fan, want to actually see is him legitimately struggle and legitimately overcome those struggles on the court through the development of his play, not through off-the-court maneuvering. And that's what I think fans uh, and the game is really missing out on in all of this. And, you know, to me, it doesn't diminish his skills as a player. It doesn't actually diminish his achievements and accomplishments. But, you know, if we really want to get down to the totality of the legacy, I think you have to consider kind of the competitive climate, the competitive context. And, you know, when you stack how, you know, his career is unfolding uh, compared to a guy like Jordan, compared to a guy like Russell, you know where where you know their their careers were about you know just this fierce competitiveness and 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 you know just the the, the willingness and and almost the sheer will to to have their talents kind of matter the the you know have the biggest impact when it matters the most i think that's really what everybody's missing out on and that's ultimately what 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 kind of disappoints me the most uh you know in this whole discussion and you know at the end of the day it's you know we're Everybody should keep it in perspective that what we're talking about is, you know, um, a conversation about the top five, six, seven, eight players of all time in the game. So and nobody should really perceive this as a criticism, uh, you know, in a, in a pejorative sense. It's a criticism kind of more of in a, in a academic, you know, fan, intellectual sense. And, and you know, I, I think it's legitimate. I honestly would be, um, I would feel very differently about him if he took this Cavs team as it consists right now of young players who haven't learned how to win and young players uh, who have flaws and he galvanized them and help them get over the hump and and become a team a two team like San Antonio was and 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 won a championship as opposed to well okay well now let's plug in another all-star next to him you know that he's got this great relationship to uh, you know with um, and you know the, the, the thing I really want to see and I think will be fascinating is who's going to be that player right who's got that that real you know deep competitive streak that kind of says screw this I'm going to I'm going to take this guy down I'm going to take this guy down a peg and as a Celtics fan and hearing all the talk about you know Rondo uh, potentially being traded you know Rondo is nowhere near LeBron's level as a player just in terms of skills and 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 you know physical abilities but he's got that competitive I could you know I I would have a hard time seeing Rondo ever you know decide to kind of you know team up with LeBron as as love seems, you know, interested in doing right now. And that's one of the competitive things I love about Rondo. Yeah, no, I, I definitely understand that. And I also understand um, kind of where you're coming from um, with, 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 you know, wanting to see it maybe play out a different way, but I do have to push back a little bit. You know, I was listening to your examples and, and, you know, Rondo counts as well. You know, um, Russell came into a team that had a MVP caliber point guard, you know, um, Michael Jordan wasn't winning and then, you know, arguably the best coach in history, we didn't know it at the time, but, you know, the best coach in history and, and, and Scottie Pippen, who's one of the best players in history, joined him there. You know, um, Magic comes onto a team that already has Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on it. Rondo starts on a team that already has, you know, three Hall of Famers that can carry him to titles. They, they, they happen to be in better situations than LeBron from jump. LeBron played his dues for seven years in Cleveland. And again, I mentioned Kevin Garnett earlier. I saw what happened when the player transcends 
and just not enough to put around him to go with it. So, you know, while it, it may have been nice to see it play out that way for LeBron, I guess I can't really blame him for wanting to be in situations that the other consensus greatest players in history have been in um, and for really being smart enough to, to take advantage of the rules in order to make sure that he's able to do it. Yeah, my counter would be that for the most part, those other great players created those situations uh, on the court and and on the practice court and and not in the front office. Um, and so I, I think that's the difference. I don't think a Scottie Pippen is a top 50 player of all time without Michael Jordan. I don't think, you know, Robert Parrish or Kevin McHale are Hall of Famers without Larry Bird, you know. Um, can't say for sure, but, um, you know, that's just uh, just my take. Well, all right. Let's turn our focus to the Celtics now. Probably the biggest news this offseason was the deal they made that facilitated the LeBron signing and brought back Tyler Zeller, Marcus Thornton, and another number one pick. Let's bring in Jay King now to talk some more about the Celtics offseason, whether Danny Ainge has any cards up his sleeve. Our interview with Jay is brought to you by the Patriots Beat Podcast. Patriots fans, training camp is here, and the Patriots Beat Podcast have you covered live on the scene at Foxborough for training camp. Tune in every Sunday at 1 p.m. on CLNS Radio. How are you today, Jay? Good, thanks. How are you guys doing? Good. Well, Celtics first-round pick Marcus Smart was named to the U.S. Select team that is part of the preparation for the next Olympics. Any news on how he's faring out there? Seems like he's doing well. All, all the reports are really encouraging. Of, of the young guys, it seems like he's the one impressing the most. Uh, part of their practice was on TV yesterday, and for whatever reason, they don't show a lot of the practice. They show a lot of the interviews instead. But during the brief snippets, you got to see he was he played great defense. He knocked down a few shots. He looked like he really belonged out there, which is good because there's some really, really good competition out there. So that, that's a good sign, obviously, for the Celtics. Uh, that their lottery pick is is out there in Vegas playing well against some of the top point guards in the, in the world. Yeah, usually that's an indicator that you know you got a future in the league if you kind of get selected, uh, not just obviously to the men's uh, national team, but to the uh, select team that helps them prepare. And ESPN.com's Jeff Goodman was on the show last week and indicated that Smart was ready to assume a leadership role with the Celtics. What's your take? Is that realistic? I don't know if he can step right in as a 20-year-old and be a leader, but the things they say about him, I mean, they just rave about him as a leader, as a person. Jay Laranega, when he was talking during the summer league, he brought up KG and Paul Pierce as examples of leaders. And he, he wasn't definitely comparing Marcus Smart to those guys, but while talking about his leadership, he brought those guys up, which is obviously some high praise, uh, especially around here. So, you know, Marcus Smart, they really love his intangibles. They love how much he competes. They love what type of teammate he is. And they they really think they found, you know, a guy who will come in and contribute, and not just to their team, but also to the, the culture that Brad Stevens wants to build. And a lot has been made of how the drafting of Smart affects Rondo's future in Boston. Do you think the organization is making that, that connection? Uh, I think well, they always said they were going to go – best talent available and I I think that's what they did here now if smarts really good from day one and you know he shows that he's able to start in the league does that change how you feel about Rondo paying him long term next summer maybe it does give them some flexibility in that way do I think that they'll trade Rondo before the season and make smart their starting point guard no Uh, but you know it, it does give them some some flexibility moving forward just in case they do need 
decide that they need to move on from Rondo or Rondo decides that he wants to move on from them. Uh, so having another point guard can't, can't hurt, I don't think, given Rondo's uncertain future, and especially having a point guard who they think can rotate to the two and hopefully start making more shots than he did last season, like, like he's been showing so far in Vegas. Okay, well, I guess uh, along those same lines, um, if you had to pick one player on the current roster to be moved before the offseason is over, who would it be? Would it be Rondo or be somebody else? Uh, I would go Ty. Well, first of all, the non guaranteed guys who <laughs> probably won't stick around. Uh, so, Chris Babb, Chris Johnson, Keith Bogans, those would be the first guys I think would be moved. But uh, after that, I would go with Ty between Jeff Green and Brandon Bass. I think that Ainge will look to move those guys if he can get anything. And the trick is, you know, you don't want to mess up any flexibility you have for next summer. You don't want anybody on more than an expiring contract. So it could be tough to move those guys for, for pretty good value. They might be not stuck with those guys, but they might not find a, a deal that they like for those guys, even though I think they're more than willing to trade them. Do you think that some of the signings this offseason kind of changes the perception of Jeff Green's contract? I know going into the offseason, it was kind of generally assumed that, you know, with two years and 18 or so million left on it, it was going to be, you know, a little bit challenging to move him and get something of value back. But now, you know, with guys like Gordon Hayward signing for 15, 16 million out there, you know, does, does that deal even at two years become more palatable or does it raise the specter that, you know, Green might be, uh, you know, likely to opt out of that? last year he does have a player option and looking at the marketplace you know it's not unrealistic to think he can get more money uh as a free agent next offseason yeah I, th I think they would if they keep him around they would like for him to opt out next year to, just to give them more cap, cap flexibility they might have all types of cap space next summer uh obviously you know that he didn't have a good year this year uh both defensively offensively he was he took a step back so he's got a lot to prove this year obviously with his his option year, uh, two years when his contract is up, you know, the contracts might start exploding with the new TV deal. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to think about with that contract. And there's really a lot of unpredictable factors, I think, that could go into whether he decides to take that option or not. And much has been written, including by yourself, if I'm not mistaken, about the Celtics having moved on from their pursuit of Kevin Love. Do you think that means the team will be standing relatively pat uh, going into training camp? Or is there a chance that Ainge has some cards he's not really showing yet? I think Ainge will keep trying to move the non-guaranteed guys for somebody who could contribute if he can. I'm not sure he'll be able to. Mm -hmm. um, it, it looks like they won't make a huge impact acquisition this summer. I, I think that ship has... Not sailed, but it looks less and less likely uh, as the offseason goes on. I, I would be pretty shocked if they make any big moves, big acquisitions moving forward uh, this offseason. I, I think they'll go pretty much intact and, you know, <laughs> not, not the best thing, I think, for the next year for Celtics fans. Uh, but they, they, sh they should be a little better just by adding Smart, just by having Rondo healthy for the whole year. So it, it's not all bad. Uh, for next year. I, I think they should be a little more competitive at least. All right. Well, that leads up to I got a two-part question. First part, as presently constituted, how many wins do you think this team can get this year? Uh, how many wins do I think is possible? Maybe around 40, and that's best-case scenario. That's if Jared Sollinger and Kelly Olenek both take steps forward. That's if Avery Bradley's three-point shooting at the end of last year was real. That's if Rondo stays healthy. 
Uh, that's if smart's pretty good. I would say, you know, 40 is around the best. I, I think the thing is, the Eastern Conference isn't as good at the top because LeBron left Miami, but the Cavs are better. Um, you know, a few other teams I think should be at least a little better. Atlanta had some tough health health last year with Horford going down. Uh, so I think the Eastern Conference toward the bottom might be a little better than it was. And I, I think it's going to be a little tougher uh, for the Celtics to compete than maybe it would have been last year if they had been a little better. So I would say my guess would be 33. I, I think just with some organic improvement and Rondo being back and Stevens being better during his second year as a coach, they'll pick up eight more wins. But their roster is still weird. They don't have any rim protection. They don't have much shooting. They have really a flawed roster that Ainge hasn't even really tried to fix because right now it's all about flexibility. It's not about putting together a team that's built to win right now. So they <laughs> poor Steven. I mean, the guy guy comes to the NBA and he, he's just got like the most flawed team that he's got to coach around. And it's too bad because we, we won't be able to really get to see how well he how well he handles himself as a coach until he gets more talent. And I think he's really, really excited to get some talent whenever they get some. Well, that leads uh, perfectly. Um, I love that answer. That leads perfectly into the second part of the question that um, would it even have been beneficial to see the team make strides this year? You know, you mentioned 40 wins as an upside. If they hit 40 wins, they might make the playoffs this year. Would that be a good thing? Or do you think um, another pick with a, I mean, another year with a five, number five or six type pick would be better? Well, I think what you're seeing this year is that this summer especially is that their assets aren't really highly regarded around the league. You know, Jared Sollinger, Kelly Linick, the guys who would have been the centerpieces of that love deal, the Timberwolves never wanted them. So I, I think if you if you get better, if you get 40 wins, if Sollinger and Olenek get better, if Marcus Smart's good in his rookie year, then all of a sudden you got three guys still on their rookie deals who, you know, they're they're pretty good assets moving forward. And so I, I think it is better for them if they win. They still have all types of draft picks, their own Brooklyn's, L.A.'s. You know, they they got the Cavs draft pick coming up. They've got a lot of future draft picks, I think, eight over the next four years. So e even without their own draft pick being a high lottery pick, they'll have a lot of ways to get better in the draft. I, I think it's more important to them to see development out of their young players. And I think it would be beneficial to them if they were up near the, the 40, 40 win total this year. And looking at the roster now, who's your pick among the young guys for someone with the best chance at establishing themselves as a lit, legit starter this, this season, kind of core piece for the future or, you know, potential trade asset? I think Sullinger's a guy. I have always believed in Sullinger. I think he, he's too smart not to succeed. You know, he, he was a 13 and 8 guy last year in his second year. And that was without an offseason at all to train. Uh, he was probably 30 pounds heavier than he is now last, last summer after going through back surgery. Couldn't play at all, couldn't run, and was just kind of thrown in in training camp. And that, that was kind of like the first real conditioning that he did the whole, the whole summer. You know, he didn't have much at all to prepare. This year he's got a summer to prepare. He, he can work on the skills they want him to, like three-point shooting, uh, he needs to obviously get better at finishing shots around the rim, getting a shot off around the rim, and he needs to become better defensively. But I think he's the guy uh, to, to look for a, a jump out of this year just because you know he, he does have that summer to prepare. And even if he doesn't get in great shape, which obviously they want him to, 
he should be in a lot better shape than he came into training camp last year just because, you know, for, for the previous year, he hasn't done anything. So um, I guess uh, you, you've done a lot of talking about the current state of events with the Celtics. Um, what are you personally looking forward to the most about the upcoming season? Uh, I, I think, you know, it'll just be exciting to see how, how Stevens continues to grow. It'll be exciting to see those young guys continue to grow. I think I was looking at this the other day. I think they have eight guys who are 25 and younger. And then Vitor Favarani, who's 26 and just going to be in his second year in the league. So they're really, really young. And, you know, they have, they have a lot of pieces that could get a lot better. And so I think that'll be exciting. Obviously, you know, it'd, it'd be nice to have a, a competitor in Boston again. It would be nice to have a, a deep playoff run. But I, I don't know if that's realistic. More realistically, it's just just watching those young guys get better. And Avery Bradley got better last year. You want to see Kelly Linick keep getting better like he did at the end of, end of the year. You want to see Jared Solinger take, take a, a big step forward. You want to see Marcus Smart, you know, come into the league and really make a difference. You want to see Phil Pressey add a little outside shot. There's a lot of things that this team can can improve in from last year uh, that that they can really, really take that next step maybe from, from their internal development and become a lot more competitive than they were uh, this past season. I love the shout-out from my man, Vitor Favarani. I'll have to break out my internet meme that I made up, uh, keep calm and El Hombre indestructible uh, if he has a, a big season this year. <laughs> Vitor. Yep. Ho- hopefully he'll come back healthy. He, uh, I guess the plan is to come back 90% healthy in September. So <laughs> I saw that. Well, folks, you can look for Jay's work on MassLive.com and be sure to follow him on Twitter at ByJKing. As always, Jay, it was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Have a good evening. All right. Great stuff there from Jay Andre. What did you think of his prediction for the number of wins for the season this season? Yeah, I thought he was he was um, pretty accurate. He, his his predictions match up with what I expect. He he mentioned forty as the high end. Honestly, I don't even know if I can really envision it, it breaking to where they get to forty wins um, with this team. I'm thinking probably more along the lines of. 35 uh, as the over-under, and I might take a little bit of the under. Um, he had a great point when he was talking about more wins leads to more value um, among the players on the team, but I just still kind of feel like right now um, winning is not necessarily the priority for the team this year. Yeah, I'm actually very much on board with his statement about the best thing for the team is start to develop some of the value in these players. We've seen that, frankly, the the, the value of future picks, you know, while it's still you know not to be dismissed, uh, you know, when you're talking about uh, trying to bring in a legitimate impact player, you know, it seems to be that part of the asking price is an established guy that a team knows they can they can count on as being part of their core. And you know, the Celtics have a few guys that might kind of grow into that and. And I think this season is going to be big. I kind of concur. His number is is pretty much right on. Getting to 40 or above would really take everything going perfectly right. No injuries and at least two of the young guys, you know, Bradley, Smart, um, Olenek or Sullinger, really, really stepping up and and proving themselves, you know, um, you know, NBA quality, legitimate, you know, top three or four guys on a on, on a decent team and I, I think it's it's a little much to expect everything that that goes right so I like your over under I you know I might be a little optimistic and shade a little bit to the over uh, on that one and another thing I wanted to ask you about 
Sorry, I'll edit that out and start that again. <laughs> Another thing I wanted to ask you about was Real GM's all-time top 100 discussion you're participating in. How is that coming along? It's coming along really well. Um, for those that don't know, Real GM is a, a website. It's a message board site. And um, we're having a, a, a several-month-long project where we're ranking the top 100 players in NBA history. We're um, going through. We've got a panel of about 50 active participants. And um, for two days, people just make cases for one player or another uh, with as much detail as possible. And then at the end, um, we count up the, the, the most votes. And um, as soon as somebody gets to a majority, then, then they're, they're voted in. So we're um, 12, pe- 12 uh, players have been voted in so far, and we're on number 13 right now. Any surprises so far for you? Yeah, there have been. Um, you know, it was a surprise for me that uh, LeBron James actually moved up to number seven overall. Um, he, he surpassed both Magic and Bird in this list. Um, I didn't necessarily see that coming um, because, you know, Magic and Bird, are to me, they're just ingrained up at, at the top of NBA history. But um, one of the big things that people have been looking at in this project is, is longevity. Mm-hmm. And in Bird's case, you know, with his back and in Magic's case with, um, you know, obviously with his illness, um, their careers were cut short and that left room for, for some people to start uh, surpassing them. So that, that was one surprise. And uh, then the other surprise, it's kind of pleasant um, when, you know, speaking on a, a Celtics uh, uh, based show is that um, Kevin Garnett snuck in at a uh, number eleven ahead of Kobe Bryant, and so um, uh, that that was it's been a really controversial pick, but <laughs> but um, it was really well supported too. So um, you know, it's one of the things I've, I'm enjoying about this this project. It's not chalk. You know, people are really listing their best cases and really doing a lot of analysis. And you know, when the analysis was done, you know, uh, KG uh, uh, snuck in ahead of purple and gold. Now, where uh, did Russell and Bird fall on the list so far in in the top thirteen? Yeah, Russell is uh, ended up number three on the list. He lost in so at the end of two days, if nobody has the majority, we do um, a runoff between the top two um, vote getters. And so um, Kareem and, and Russell were essentially tied at the end of two days. We did a runoff vote, and they were essentially tied at the end of three days. Kareem won by one vote to get that number two slot. So Russell ended up third, followed by Wilt, um, then Duncan and Shaq, LeBron at seven, Magic at eight. Elijah Wan at nine. He he got in ahead of Bird. Bird at ten, and then um, Garnett at eleven, and Oscar Robertson at twelve. Well, I'd like to have a word with uh, whoever tried to make the case for cases for Bird or, or Russell because uh, you know <laughs> uh, Bird below Shaq is just astonishing to to me, and uh, you know I, I can see the the argument for for Kareem alongside Russell, but you know it's hard to argue against eleven rings as as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, eleven rings makes its own case, but one of one of the emphasis emphases emphases of the project <laughs> is um, really trying to separate, you know, what a player did as an individual from their team. Um, I can tell you that one of the things that her bird I mentioned was, was uh, longevity, mm-hmm. um, but for two was his first few years in the league. In the playoffs, he really his, his shooting percentages, his, his scoring efficiency really went down, and. Um, a lot of the, the box score based so called advanced stats really focus on scoring efficiency to a degree that I don't agree with. I, I, mm-hmm. I tend to push back on, but a lot of the people there really look at those. And so um, those two things together left enough room for, for people like Shaq and LeBron to, to slide past the bird on the list. 
Well, very interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I'm completely, you know, not being privy to the, the discussions, but, you know, the idea of separating, you know, what a, a great player does as part of his team, for, you know, from what he you know, does as an individual just seems uh, fundamentally flawed to me when we're talking about great players because, you know, ultimately that's what what really matters. And, and, you know, the truly great players, you know, have a way of kind of creating that environment around them in, in, in my estimation. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a really hard um, it's a really hard line, especially when you're comparing across history. You know, all these rule changes. We're we're going from mm-hmm. before the shot clock up to the present, and so um, you know, everyone has their own criteria. Um, people don't ignore team results. What what we try to do is estimate how much a player contributed to those team results, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the modern era. It's a little easier with um, all the plus minus stats, right. but. Um, but uh, yeah, you know it's a fun project. Um, if if uh, anybody is, is curious and wants to look into it, like I said, it's on uh, realgm.com on the player comparison board. It's stickied right at the top. And um, if you if you uh, come on, uh, look for Drizza. That that those are my arguments. We'll have to check it out. All right, that music means it's time to go around the NBA in five. You ready, Dre? Let's do it. All right, Byron Scott, good hire or the Lakers floundering? <laughs> In the immortal words of Peter Vesey, the hiring was weak. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I really, you know, it was a sign to me that kind of what we think is happening is happening. The Lakers don't have a plan right now. They know they don't have the talent. Kobe is is demanding the money. He doesn't really have a team around him. They're not going to be good. Just, you know, give it to an in-house guy for a couple years. And then when they're ready to try to be good again, they'll go for a better coach. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, uh, Peter also alluded to Jim Buss uh, kind of scaring uh, <laughs> uh, Kevin Love. And, you know, I think that situation is a mess. And, you know, when I asked him about things getting ugly there, you know, you take the situation with, with Buss in the front office and some of the friction there. And you look at kind of Kobe's history of when things aren't going well, how he reacts, plus, you know, coming back from the injury. I think that's just really a toxic, flammable mix there. And it, uh, you know, there could be some, some fireworks coming out of LA, but not the same type of fireworks that uh, our, our Wick Grossbeck was talking about. Definitely. So um, LeBron signed for only two years. Are we going to have to go through all of this again in another couple of summers? Uh, it's going to be interesting, and you know that's really going to be the litmus as to how authentic this you know talk about the lore of Northeast Ohio and the desire to kind of finish what he started and deliver a championship to those those long suffering fans really played in the decision. If the Cavs don't win a title in those two years, I think we're going through this all again. And then you add in the the changes to the salary cap that are you know due because of the new TV agreement. You kind of throw in there an, another impending. A lockout uh, with the uh, collective bargaining agreement expires, and uh, I think we're going to be right back at it again uh, a couple summers from now. Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see. Um, I think that it, you know he wants it to work in Cleveland, but if um, two years from now he's coming off two years of disappointment, um, you know I I'm a baseball fan. I saw Ken Griffey come back to Cincinnati, and it didn't work out for him there. So. Um, yeah, if, if things aren't going well, I would not be surprised to see uh, uh, LeBron doing decision three in a couple years. Now, last year it was Dwight Howard. This year it was LeBron, Carmelo, and a few others. We're still waiting to see where Kevin Love lands. Who is the next big name to hit the market? You know, it's interesting because it really should have been Kevin Love because he's supposed to be a free agent next year. 
Um, and what we're seeing these days is that it's not it's no longer the big free agent. It's the big free agent to be mm-hmm. the, the, the kind of run thing. So I wonder if next year is going to be all about Kevin Durant and, and his potential decision if, um, you know, if things don't go the way that, that, that he might want him to go in Oklahoma City this year, knowing that he'll be a free agent the following year. Yeah, the, the interesting name for me is going to be Marcus Gasol. He's due to be a free agent next year, and I think you know, he's the type of player, still young enough, that I think you know there's a dearth of impact centers in the league, and he can really be a, a centerpiece for folks to build around. And then, you know, I think it's interesting if, you know, if Memphis starts out this season like they did last year, and we all know they, they turned it around last year, and they struggle, you know, could his name be kind of out there on the trade market going into the deadline? I think that'll be really, really fascinating to see definitely so Derek Rose working out with team USA to team USA on the comeback trail does he last a full season this time I don't know, man. You know, his, just his style of play just seems to be really difficult on, on the knees. You know, all that, you know, explosive jump cutting and, and the jumping off of two feet and, and just kind of the, the, the way he drives the lane with, with just such, you know, kind of viciousness, um, you know, makes him, you know, what a great player he is and so much fun to watch. But, you know, it seems like it's, it's really rough on his body. And, and if he does tone that down, well, you know, what, what type of player is he going to be? I think that's going to be one of the biggest stories of the early season is what he looks like and and you know ultimately you know can he last i'll give him the benefit of the doubt i say he's able to you know make just enough of an adjustment in his game to kind of you know protect his body a little bit while still being an effective player yeah um it's an interesting question i analogize it to a a flame-throwing pitcher that gets tommy john surgery um at some point he has to learn how to pitch a, a different way um, and, and he can still be, you know, about as good as he ever was, but he has to, to learn how to do it a little different. So we'll, we'll see if uh, Rose is able to make that same adjustment. All right. Uh, Wick Grossbeck talks about the Celtics becoming real players in free agency. Can it happen? Uh, not this year, I don't think. Um, next year, I would say yes, depending on how the season goes. If, if it plays out the way we hope it will, then absolutely. Um, if the team is, is struggling and, and appears to be imploding, then, um, yeah, uh, they might have to wait a little longer. Yeah, you know, the, the conventional wisdom is free agents don't want to come to Boston, but the reality is the Celtics have never been in the position, you know, either salary cap-wise or contending-wise, to really be, you know, an attractive destination for a, a marquee free agent. Next off season, as you mentioned, all those kind of stars could align and, and we can really see whether the weather in Boston, the city's reputation, uh, you know, really is a, uh, a, a significant factor in, in folks' willingness to come play for the Celtics. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Carlos Andres Mesa. Astrovex, and Steph Legrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat, and you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. I'd like to thank our guests, Peter Vesey and Jay King, for our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, executive producer, Larry H. Russell, my co-host, Andre Snellings, I'm Rich Conti. See you next Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, for another edition of Celtics Beat, exclusively on CLNS Radio.